on the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Radio City. Here's Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in. It is time for Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. It is great to be talking to you. The final edition of the program here in the 2019 calendar year. Of course, this show comes your way uh, 12 months a year as long as there's not uh, a Bucks game or a Packers game. I think we don't do it on the night of the uh, first night of the NFL draft. But for the most part, we come your way every Thursday night do so by giving us a call. The phone number is 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. If you've been listening to us very much here, you know that that is a different phone number, that we made a change in our phone number. But if you are somebody who maybe is just very loyal to Brewers-related programming and maybe you don't spend as much time uh, listening and you've got, uh, you've got phone numbers saved in your cell phone, change out the phone number because it's it's new and it's changed 855-616-1620 again 855-616-1620 as uh, you can give us a call you can also find me on twitter and you can tweet at me over the course of the program doing so at matt Pauley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air what we got coming up on the program today we'll talk a little bit about first base now that we have an idea of who is going to be manning first base uh, for the Brewers with uh, Justin Smoke probably spending most of the time there. We'll see a little bit of Ryan Braun at uh, first base as well. We'll talk about the third base situation. We'll talk about Josh Hader and whether or not he is even going to be a Brewer next season. And uh, we'll touch on umpires and uh, player salary a little bit as well. So a lot to get to uh, between now and 9 o'clock. But as we always do at the top of the program, let's get to this week's edition of 3 Up, 3 Down. It's time for 3 Up, 3 Down. Three things from the past week that are trending in the right direction and the three things the crew needs to work on. All right, so let's get to our first one. As Number one. I, I'm kind of cheating, to be honest with you, because our, little, our intro there says things going in the right direction, things going in the not-so-right direction. Well... I'm, I'm going to cheat on that one because I'm going to do more of the literal sense of up and down things that are moving up and things that are moving down. And because I don't know, I don't, this first one I don't think is actually a good thing. Uh, I don't want to see it happen, but it may end up happening. There seems to be more and more rumors about the potential trading of Josh Hader. Every day, there are more MLB insiders, more folks who don't have blue check marks next to their names but for whatever reason people are taking note of what they are saying seems like there continues to be some engagement between the brewers and the yankees about a possible josh Hader trade now Hader, he, he's somebody who's going to see his salary continue to move in a very 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 upward direction here over the next few years as he has reached arbitration even though there is club control he's a very valuable commodity and if the brewers can get a lot for him then i think there's a possibility that that move is made but you got to get a whole bunch for him we'll talk more about josh Hader coming up later on in the program number two 
Yeah, this is another one where I'm going with the literal up versus down because we have seen the Brewers' 40-man roster really expand in the month of December. Players who were not on the 40-man roster at some point in time and are now on the 40-man roster include uh, catcher Omar Nevaez, uh, shortstop Ronnie Rodriguez, pitcher Alex Claudio, even though he was with the team, he was non-tendered, he comes back. Uh, Brett Anderson, Josh Lindblom, Ryan Healy, Avisail Garcia, Eric Sogard, Justin Smoke. So at the beginning of December, you saw a 40-man roster that had a lot of spots open, not so many spots open anymore after a very, very, very active month for Brewers General Manager David Stearns. Number three. I want to mention the White Sox. Uh, yeah, what I what I wrote down to say is the White Sox payroll. You can really just you can kind of do the same thing. White Sox roster. You look at what they've done so far. They have absolutely won the off season. Now, just because you win the off season doesn't mean that you win anything of significance. But it all started when they signed former Brewers catcher Yasmani Grandal there at the end of November, and. Uh, since then, they have made a number of uh, significant moves. Uh, another former Brewer in Gio Gonzalez, he is uh, joining the White Sox. There is uh, a report out there that they are signing Edwin Encarnacion. It looks like that's going to uh, get done. So uh, all the way around, the White Sox have really improved their roster. And good on them. That's a division in the American League Central. With all due respect to uh, the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Indians, whoever else you might think might be contending in that division. Of all the divisions in baseball, that's one that you can say is out there for the taking. And the White Sox, to their credit, have said, okay, this is a this is a moment to be able to uh, go do something. Dallas Keuchel is another guy who uh, has reportedly signed with the White Sox. So good on them for uh, finding a way to really improve their roster as they try to make a legitimate run at winning that division this upcoming season. Strike one. The Major League Baseball annual average salary is not going in the right direction. For the first time, actually for, yeah, for the first time in 19, since 1967, the Major League Baseball average player salary is dropping in consecutive years. This is one of those things where I think people need to really pay attention. And we'll talk about more about this coming up later on in the program because this is a big deal. We hear about these big, big contracts that are being given out. This year with Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon. Last year, uh, you had Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And because there's such a spotlight and such a focus on those big, big, big money contracts that are out there, people don't realize that the actual payroll, the actual annual average salary in Major League Baseball is actually going down where that middle class of a baseball player is not making as much money as they were previously. Strike two. Yeah, we're still waiting on answers to figure out who's going to be the Brewers' third baseman. That's going to be another conversation here in the program today. That's the biggest hole as it sits right now, and there's going to be a number of roster tweaks because we've got a fair amount of time between now and when uh, spring training opens and of course even more time between now and uh, opening day but we talked earlier about that 40-man roster increase so many more guys on the roster but I don't think anybody is especially comfortable at this point in time with the options on the team as far as an everyday third baseman strike three you're out 
Yeah, this one's a weird one. We're going to go to uh, Foxborough, where uh, free agent pitcher Rich Hill and his wife were arrested after an altercation with police at the Bills-Patriots game in Foxborough this past weekend. Rich Hill, who'd been with the Dodgers the last three years, his wife tried to enter Gillette Stadium with an oversized bag. You're not allowed to do that. Well, she didn't want to hear that. She kept trying to go. Police kept telling her, no, you can't go. Finally, they arrest her, and she's being put in the police car. At that point, her husband, Rich Hill, gets upset about it. He's been charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. Not a good look for uh, Rich Hill and his wife, all because they wanted to take an oversized bag into an NFL game, which you cannot do. That is this week's edition of 3 Up, 3 Down. Coming up uh, on the program, I want to dive dive a little bit deeper here on the idea of trading Josh Hader. Now, what I don't want to do is because I, I think you can get caught in the weeds on what the Brewers would need to get back for Josh Hader. That's, I'm not going to go down that path. But the idea of even trading him and why it makes sense and why it doesn't make sense, we're going to touch on that coming up in just a moment. Matt Pauly taking you through a Thursday night. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly does continue, taking you until 9 o'clock. If you want to join the program, you can give us a call. On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. That's where you call us. If you want to uh, find me on Twitter, you can do so at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Let's go to the phones and bring in Doug in Baraboo. Doug, it feels like it's been a while since I've talked to you. Hello. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Say you know, there's uh, we got what ninety days or ninety one before opening day. I like to say ninety because when I go to bed on the twenty fifth, that's a, that's ninety for me. And the ninety one is the the twenty sixth. But now, Matt, we've got uh, twenty six guys on the roster this year, right? They allow yep. one more. Yeah, correct. Okay, so I was looking at uh, out of the forty men we have right now, which I know is going to change, probably no question. But we got thir- I'm thinking thirteen pitchers, two catchers six infielders and five outfielders. And I'm going to run these by you real quick. It'll just take me a second. But I'm looking at the starters with Brett Anderson, Hauser, Lauer, Woodruff, and Lindblom. Lindblom. Excuse my pronunciation on some of these guys because they're new. And then uh, the fill out the rest of the uh, pitchers, I'm looking at uh, Hader, uh, Burns, Claudio, uh, Knable, Peralta, uh, Suter, and uh, Wall, and uh, uh, Taylor. Taylor Williams, and then going with catchers, I'm thinking uh, Narvarez, and then Pena, and then uh, infielders, I'm looking at Arcia, Healy, Ira, Smoke, Urias, and and Sogard, and then uh, for outfielders, I'm looking at uh, Braun King, Gamble Garcia, and uh, of course Yelich, so that that makes 26. Um, Do you think that makes sense right now, or...? Uh, a few things. Uh, first off, I think that if Corbin Burns is going to be on the Major League roster, it's, I think they believe in him as a starter. That's what they're going to try to uh, get him as. i, I got to look at his option information, but I still think he has them. So if he's not starting, I would think uh, he would begin the season uh, at AAA as a starter. That would be one of the first things I would say. Also, he's not on the roster yet, but, Doug, I wouldn't be shocked if they bring in 
a third catcher, especially with the defensive misgivings of uh, Omar Nevarez. They may be in a roster situation where they want to be able to have a better defensive catcher to be able to, uh, you know, where, where you can take Nevarez out of a game late. So I could see a scenario where they use that 26th man as the uh, as a third catcher, potentially. And also Ryan Healy is another guy that you mentioned. I'm not convinced that he's going to begin the season on the Major League roster either. Yeah, that would work. I know other teams are thinking, too, like you said, the uh, the catcher with the 26th. A lot of other teams, what I've seen, are talking about having three three catchers because the 12 or 13 pitchers and then they can go back and forth between the outfielders and, and infielders. So anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> it's getting exciting. I'm getting, I'm getting ready. Yeah, it's good stuff. Appreciate the phone call, uh, Doug, and always good to hear from you. And it's fun to do that. Like, isn't that fun? That's what, that's what you do. Yeah. In the off season, you uh, you you go and you, you take a look at the roster and you try to kind of figure out uh, who's going to be on it, who's not going to be on it. There was something that was posted here in the last couple of days that listed Corbin Burns as a uh, as a sell low candidate for other teams that maybe another team that wants to take a chance on a on a pitcher that they could try to acquire Burns. And for me, I just if you're the Brewers and you've got some payroll constraints, and you've got some things like that, when you develop a pitcher who's got the upside of a Corbin Burns, even when he's coming off a year like he had this past season, I think you have to give him every opportunity. So I wouldn't I wouldn't think that the Brewers are going to go out there and trade Burns. And not that there's really any uh, smoke or fire on that one. I was just reading something uh, earlier today where he was listed as a, a player that maybe another team could try to sell, you know, buy at a, at a low rate. And I just, for me, what are you getting out of it? Like the the upside on Burns is that he develops back into the guy that everybody thought he was going to be this time last year. And if you go sell low on him, you're going to get some low-level prospects or something like that. It, to me, it's not worth it. So I know, I know Brewers fans are down on Burns. This is one where I say, let's take a step back and see what happens here. Uh, they've been working with them. They put them in, they've got that new pitching lab uh, down in Maryvale, and they, they put them through the work down there, and we're going to get into spring training. And there's no reason to not think that he can find what he who he was coming up. Look, and then there's no guarantee that he's going to either. Like this is one where it could it could easily go in either direction. This is a 50-50 proposition that he goes and figures out uh everything that was not going right with him and gets back on the right track. And the idea of starter versus reliever is something to to keep an eye on as well because clearly he had his best success as a relief pitcher two seasons ago. This past season, even as a reliever, it wasn't there. But if they can figure him out, that could be a big boom for uh, for this pitching staff. All right, I promise to talk about Josh Hader. We will do that coming up in just a moment or so. If you want to join us on the program, you can do so by calling 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also find me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. We're back with more in a moment on WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Taking you through a Thursday evening for another half hour or so. There is a lot of talk out there 
about the potential trading away of Brewers pitcher Josh Hader. And the team that seems to be most interested, if you believe the scuttlebutt out there, if you believe the different MLB insiders who are uh, who are reporting things from anonymous sources, the team out there that seems to be the most interested, and reportedly, according to these different sources, the team that the Brewers are, are engaged with on a possible Josh Hader deal is the New York Yankees. Now, I think the initial reaction to this is, why would you trade Josh Hader? You control this guy for uh, four more years. He is not scheduled for free agency until 2024. He is an elite relief pitcher, and why would you ever move on from him? And, and let me say, I hope they don't. I, I, I just enjoy watching Josh Hader pitch. This is something where... He's so much fun, and the, the 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 stuff is so electric, and he makes other batters look so silly at times. It is really fun to watch Josh Hader pitch. So as somebody who watches 162-plus playoffs Brewers games every year, I'd rather him stick around because I enjoy watching him pitch. That being said... This is a possible chance for the Brewers to try to make themselves... I don't know if they make themselves better now, but at the very least, they could put themselves in position to kind of be better suited going forward. I don't know what the Brewers would get back for Josh Hader. I do know this. The, the Brewers are in control on this one because they don't have to trade them. They don't need to trade him. He's probably going to make about $4.5 million this upcoming season. Uh, that's that's the arbitration projection. This is his first year of arbitration. He's got three more years of arbitration after this if he doesn't come to you with some sort of uh, long-term deal. The $4.6 million is a big raise for him, but the Brewers can afford it. So there's there's... There's no reason that the Brewers have to make this trade. So that puts David Stearns really in a position where he can evaluate what he is being offered for a Josh Hader and try to make his club better in the long run. The Brewers are not positioned well right now in terms of their minor league system. They're still guys, and that's the that's the 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 depth issues in the minor league system seem to be the thing right now because there are still guys that are coming through the system that you can be very excited about that project to have very good major league careers but as far as the overall depth and also probably the high end talent those can't miss sort of prospects that doesn't exist quite as much right now so if you can go trade a Josh Hader and get a couple prospects who would immediately be placed upon the top portion of the of the prospect rankings, and you can also get some major league help all at the same time, then it might make sense. Because if you trade away a Josh Hader, not only are you trading him away for this upcoming season, you're trading his three more years of club control. Four total years, three more years after this upcoming season, he'll go to arbitration multiple times, and in all likelihood, at some point... Hater's going to not be a brewer simply because of the amount of money that he is going to get paid. 
Now, I know there's going to be some people who are listening to me right now and are saying, well, the Brewers can afford a lot more money than, than, what, they're, than what they're spending right now, and they can increase payroll. And, and I actually agree with that. I think when you look at the finances in baseball and the money that's being thrown around and the billions of dollars uh, that, are, that are coming in, clearly uh, this is about as best of a time as there's ever been for small market teams in baseball because of the overall money that's coming in to Major League Baseball. So can the Brewers, I I don't know if the Brewers payroll is going to be more this upcoming season than it was this past season. The way it's kind of set up right now, it's not going to be. They're actually going to take a a little bit of a step back. Now the question at that point is, does that set them up to make some sort of in-season move if they're making a run for the postseason? Or is it just simply a a salary take back? Uh, But either way, the team can afford a Josh Hader. Now at some point in time, they may not be able to, or it might get to a point where it impacts other decisions that are being made. And I think every time you look at somebody and look at every decision that's being made with the Brewers, you probably have to keep in the back of your mind that they are going to do whatever they can do to try to sign Christian Yelich to a long-term extension. So if they're sitting here saying, okay, two years from now, Josh Hader is going to be at a point where financially it's going to be tough to have him under our umbrella if we want to be able to be spending gobs and gobs and gobs of money for Christian Yelich. I mean, if they sign Christian Yelich to a long-term contract, it is going to be the largest contract in the history of the organization. If they are trying to set themselves up to be able to do that, and they can sit here and say, well, Josh Hader with four years of club control is worth this much stuff from another team in this case, the Yankees, where if we go two more years down the line and all of a sudden it's two years of club control, it's, it, it's a very different situation with what you could get back. Maybe it makes a little bit of sense to move on from Hayter. I'd be bummed. He is, he is somebody who is so electric. And something that I'm hoping to see this upcoming season with the idea that a Corey Knable would be back with the team, I want to see a Josh Hader kind of back into the role that he was in two seasons ago, where he can close games, he can come in and throw a couple innings, he can throw the 8th and ninth, or he can throw the 7th the and 8th, or he could throw the 6th and 7th and maybe into the 8th a little bit if need be, but not be that you know quote-unquote closer. I always feel like with Hader, he is most effective when he's not being used just all the time. And if you can, I'd rather see him used for multiple innings, not used as often, where on days that you're not going to use him, you still have a Corey Knable to close things out. That's that's how he was used two years ago. And I, I prefer that system to what they really did this past year. They didn't have a choice this past season because of the Corey Knable injury and some other issues uh, that existed in the bullpen and Jeremy Jeffers not being as effective as he normally is. I, I get the sense that this could happen, though. You just you read everything. You just keep reading. And I'll tell you what, the people in New York, they think Josh Hader's coming their way. They absolutely believe that Josh Hader is going to be uh, wearing pinstripes this upcoming season. This week's edition of uh, Going Deep, we are going to do that next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. More Brewers Weekly coming up on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. 
Continuing on on a Thursday night, talking baseball in the month of December. That is always a very, very good thing. And it is time for this week's edition of Going Deep. Whether the Brewers are winning or losing, a player is on a hot streak or slumping, there's always a reason why. Here's this week's in-depth look at the current state of the Brewers as we go deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! All right, so the Brewers bring in Justin Smoke, and we assume he is going to be playing at first base. The initial reaction to this, at least the reaction that I saw, was somewhat negative. People wanted Eric Thames to be back with the team. And Eric Thames is a really good brewer. He's an even better guy. I think he, he, would, he, had time, he was a fan favorite for some just because of the oversized personality. But from a baseball standpoint, I think that Smoke brings a little bit more to the table than Eric Thames. When you look at some of the numbers and break things down, there's a Twitter account out there that is that's just a fantastic Twitter account for uh, breaking things down. It's at Brew Maths, uh, Brew underscore M A T H S, and they did something where they took uh, Justin Smoke's spray chart from last season and they superimposed it over Miller Park. He's got that left-handed power, and uh, if he would have played all of his games at Miller Park last year, he would have hit better than 30 home runs. Now, of course. You don't play all your games at home. But uh, based off his production from last year, he's on track for 26 home runs or so based off his numbers from last year. We'll get more into that coming up in just a moment. Also, another reason to think that he's going to get things going, because the overall numbers last year with Toronto were not great. It does admittedly seem like his uh, career and the numbers may be trending in the wrong direction. Last year... He had one of his highest hard-hit percentages uh, over the course of his career, but he also had a career low in batting average on balls put in play. So what that tells you is he was one of the most unlucky hitters in baseball last season. We talked about that a lot a couple years ago with Ryan Braun, where he was really hitting the ball hard, but he was hitting it right at guys, and that's kind of what caused Ryan Braun to uh, uh, really look at launch angle and things like that. When, when you want to see a good bounce-back candidate, go find somebody that's got a, hard, a high hard-hit percentage and also somebody whose batting average on balls put in play is lower than it should be based off that hard-hit percentage, and you're going to find somebody who very easily could have a big bounce-back season. Uh, when you do take a look at the, uh, at the projections for next season, and uh, the good folks at Fangraphs do uh, different projections for next year, comparing what Justin Smoke is expected to do versus what Eric Thames is expected to do this upcoming season. Uh, Justin Smoke, the projection has him at 239, 25 home runs, and 69 RBIs, where Eric Thames projected out to be a 231 hitter, 20 home runs, and 54 RBIs. So the numbers there, if that plays out, that's a, that's a fairly significant difference, a difference of, uh, of five home runs, a difference of uh, 15 RBIs over the course of the year. I think that is uh, absolutely something that's notable when you look at what they've done over the course of their last three years. Uh, Thames hit 241, 72 home runs, a 118 uh, OPS, where uh, Justin Smoke just almost exactly the same batting average, 243 versus uh, 241. Also, uh, he hit 85 home runs over the course of the last three seasons. 
runs and 100, uh, 119 OPS. You got Justin Smoke for about a million and a half less than what you would have uh, probably paid Eric Thames, and there's a club option in there as well. So a lot of reasons to uh, believe that uh, that you're going to get pretty good production from Justin Smoke this upcoming season. That is this week's edition of Going Deep. We will take a break. When we return to the program, I want to talk about umpires for just a moment or so because a new umpire deal was agreed upon this past week, reportedly, and it does open up the idea of the robot umpires, which a lot of people are very much in favor for. Should you be in favor of robot umpires? We'll talk about that next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Welcome back in. If you want to uh, join us, you can uh, give us a call. You can also uh, find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Our phone number is now 855-616-1620. That's 855-616-1620. If you have a phone number saved in your phone, you need to change it out because we have a uh, new phone number here at uh, WTMJ. Final edition of Brewers Weekly here in the 2019 calendar year. Uh, there was something that kind of went under the radar a little bit here over the last couple of weeks, a report out that Major League Baseball, along with the umpires, have agreed to a new five-year labor agreement. It still has to be approved by the umpires and also by the uh, 30 owners in Major League Baseball, so it's not going to become official until some point in January, but it looks like a deal is done. And Sidebar on that, it actually surprised me that it got done uh, as quickly as it did and kind of without much fanfare and not much rhetoric between the two sides because I don't know if the relationship between umpires and the players, umpires and the owners, it's it's not a great relationship seemingly right now. And we've seen that with the umpires' union and some of the statements that they've made. It's just, it's an uncomfortable situation. Uh, But they're, they're seemingly getting this deal done. Now, The headline in this is that they are going to uh, put in a provision where the umpires are going to allow for an electronic strike zone to be implemented at the major league level uh, as it continues to get put together and get better. I'm fine with that if it works. Uh, Right now, and look, I... If you listen to Brewers Extra Innings during the season, you know that there are a lot of umpires out there that I am not a fan of, and I take issues with uh, with the way some umpires go about their business. That being said, right now as it sits, the the system for the automated strike zone that was first being tested this past year in the Atlantic League, for from everything I've read, it's nowhere near being ready for prime time. I, the, the basic thought would be it would be simple to get this figured out. I think it's a little bit tougher than, than people give it credit for when you consider the strike zone isn't just this box that is always there and it's always the same when all of a sudden it's, it's dependent upon the, the body composition, really, of the batter. It's changing every single at-bat. 
and you would think the technology would be there to be able to put it together, but it is not there quite yet. Now, if they look, if they can get this all locked in, and if they can get this perfect, and if you can get the different engineers and, and various people that are a lot smarter than me to create an automated strike zone that is better than the human umpires right now that is essentially flawless, I'm all in on it because I want the calls to be correct. At the end of the day, you want the calls to be correct. Uh, I don't think as it sits right now, it is going to be that way. It's not like the automated strike zone is going to be in Major League Baseball next year or the year after. They're going to get this thing in a much better place before they uh, implement it at the Major League level. Here's what bothers me, and I'm making some assumptions here, but what bothers me about everything that's being said in this agreement I'll tell you what umpires need. What what would make umpiring better, I think, and what really bugs me about the current state of umpires in Major League Baseball is the apparent lack of accountability. Umpires make mistakes. Umpires do their ump show routine. Umpires do a lot of things that are negative for the game of baseball. And I'm not talking about just missing a call. I'm talking about a lot of the other stuff that they do. And I don't feel like there is ever any sort of recourse towards those umpires. Maybe there is. Baseball will tell you that there's punishments, there's suspensions, there's things like that that go on behind the scenes that we don't actually see. I don't know. I remember last year there was a uh, there was a I think it was Mike Estabrook who was just had a horrendous series and had some really bad calls. Craig Council got thrown out uh, a couple times, if I remember correctly. And I I remember thinking to myself, okay, Major League Baseball is never going to tell you when they suspend an umpire, but maybe this maybe the way this guy acted over the last few games is going to be enough for him to be punished by Major League Baseball behind closed doors. And for the course of the next two weeks... I went through every single box score in Major League Baseball every day to look at the umpires, and I found Mike Estabrook every single day. So it became pretty clear that he wasn't suspended. They're not going to tell you about suspensions. I don't know how often suspensions happen. There's no way really to know because umpires do take vacations in season, and rightfully so. Like that, you know, At least if you're a player, if you're anybody who's with a team, you get to sleep in your own bed half the time. Uh, over the course of a year. If you're an umpire, you're virtually on the road the entire season. So umpires getting to take vacation in the course of the season, I'm totally in on. I think they deserve vacation. I've got no problem with that. But if you're an umpire, and umpires get paid pretty well, if you're an umpire and you get a week-long suspension in the middle of the season, that's a vacation. Yeah, you want that money. Yeah, you don't want to lose it. There's some negatives that go along with it. But I bet there's a lot of umpires out there who, if they were given the option to get an extra week of vacation in the middle of the season, even if it means forfeiting a week's worth of pay, that they would be all in on it. And there does not seem to be anything in this new agreement that does anything to create a a situation where there's more accountability for umpires, more public information the idea that the replay challenges nobody in the this is the this is the most insane thing that's going on in baseball right now it's it's ridiculous that we have these replay challenges we've got 
30 to 50,000 people in Major League Baseball ballparks. And if you're sitting there at the game, when the replay challenge is over, you have no clue what really call was made. You don't know if the call stood. You don't know if the call was confirmed. You know if it was overturned, but you don't know if it stands or it's confirmed or what it might be. You know, safe and out. That's all you know. There's no explanation for anything. You've got an attendance problem in Major League Baseball. More people are watching games on TV than going to games. Well, make the in-game environment better and let these people know what the heck is going on after a replay challenge. It's, it's insane. It makes zero sense on what's going on with the umpires. And, oh, yeah, they're going to approve this automated strike zone, which right now looks like it just doesn't work. Maybe it'll work in a few years. Maybe it won't. But there's nothing about accountability. There's nothing about fans actually hearing from umpires and knowing why decisions were made and why replay challenges were confirmed or not confirmed. It's, it's not good. And, and it's just going to be five more years of the exact same stuff because it's a five-year deal that has been put together. We'll wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly. We'll do that next here on WTMJ. This is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ. Starting to wrap up this edition of the program here on WTMJ. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I want to get into it just a little bit more because I think it's something that's really important for fans to kind of have an understanding of. Because there's this overall feeling that player salaries in Major League Baseball are moving in an upward direction. And the top-end players, yeah, it is. Every year... Those top two or three guys who are available in free agency seemingly are setting records for the contracts they're receiving. This year, uh, it was Garrett Cole, it was Steven Strasburg, it was Anthony Rendon. Last year, it was Bryce Harper, it was Manny Machado. These guys are getting just insane contracts. But overall, we just saw a two-year period where the, a- the average salary for a baseball player dropped. Now, I think it's going to bounce back a little bit this upcoming season. I think when we're talking, when we're doing a show 12 months from now, it's probably going to go up a little bit. But just think about that for a moment. The annual average salary in Major League Baseball has dropped over the course of the last two seasons, despite those huge contracts. That's part of the issue. That's why uh, that next collective bargaining agreement is going to be interesting to see what happens to see if whether or not they're able to uh, work out a deal because that middle class of baseball player, they want to be making a little bit more money than they're making right now. That's it for this week's edition of Brewers Weekly. We'll talk to you again real soon on WTMJ.